0: Okay, welcome. In this uh, recording, what I'd like to do is take um, this time to give a summary of a teaching that we just finished called Beyond Survival. And the point of this is, for one, if anybody missed any of the sessions, they could get kind of the big picture of how they all link together. Um, Also, for those who went through it, sometimes you kind of jump into each week and you can forget again how they all connect Um, But also I hope that if anybody's hearing this stuff for the first time, that this could be an opportunity to listen. And then if there are things in here that really jump out at you or pique your interest, I'll be giving cues as I go along so that you'll know where to jump back to if you want to listen to the actual in-depth or more in-depth treatment of whatever topic. So the topic of survival is really important to me. It's been extremely helpful in learning... um, how to assess my life and actually intentionally take steps forward in becoming a freer and healthier human in the model and example of Jesus. And so I'm going to start by describing the image that I think best captures survival, which is feeling like you're just keeping your head above water. And I was reminded of the joke that Jim Gaffigan tells where somebody asks him, what does it feel like to have four kids? And he says, imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. And oftentimes, I do think that that is kind of how we feel, like we've got more to carry, more to hold on to than we possibly can, um, and we're just keeping our head above water. And then we have in our minds certain things that we are holding on to that are hanging down above us that we're just barely, you know, grasping onto that are, in our minds, keeping our heads above water. And those things um, we'll explore here in a little bit. So we're holding on to those things, and those things are keeping us okay there and certain seasons maybe not might not feel so intense, but then all it takes is for the you know the heat to get ratcheted up um, for a few things to go wrong, a few situations to change, and we're right there. So this is important because Jesus offers us what he calls streams or rivers of living water that flow from within, and of course, the uh, image there is thirst, thirst always. Uh, Represents desire So we have built within us desire Desire is a good thing, not a bad thing at all The only problem is When it becomes the thing that is running your life um, Then it can just go absolutely out of control Because we, as created in the image of God And likeness of God Are actually designed to be met At a deep, fulfilling and soul level By God we're actually made for that. And when we don't experience that, what we experience is a sense of something is off, something is wrong. So we are built with a desire that only God can satisfy. And there's a whole history of talking about and looking into this, and I think Jesus continues in that tradition. Um, Now, what's hard about this image of survival is we have been taught in Christianity to think about only looking for bad behaviors. So we look for things that are You know, quote unquote, sins. And then we're taught to sort of figure out how to manage those. I just want to say up front, that is not what I am talking about. Um, In fact, survival doesn't have to be a bad behavior, it doesn't have to have, in and of itself, the behavior itself, a bad consequence. It simply has to be something that I am relying on to be okay, other than God. So uh, here's a strange example why, when Jesus was in the wilderness, did he turn down bread when it says that Satan offered him bread? Nothing wrong with bread, right? I mean, bread is good. Our bodies are made for food, and and that's a fine thing. Well, it's fine unless the goal of that season was he was learning a certain kind of trust and dependence on God. Then in that sense, bread becomes a substitute, and so he has to turn down the bread in order to learn what he's learning, which, by the way... Fasting is itself just a practice of trusting God or learning to be okay when I don't get what I want or even what I deserve, rightfully. Um, So we got to get beyond this idea of not sinning. I'm just, I'm not that bad. (laughs) I'm not that bad of a person. Hopefully you're not. I don't think you are. I don't think I am either. But a better question would be, am I free to do the good that I want to do? And how often is it that because I am holding on to something or I need something to keep myself okay, now I am limited. I'm sort of becoming a slave to that thing because now I'm limited to not do the good that I really want to be able to do. I would want to live more selflessly. I would want to live um, more, more generously or whatever, um, but I can't because I'm busy surviving. So this is about a new vision for life in the kingdom of God. A life of abandoning ourselves to God rather than seeking after whatever it is that I feel like I want or need in that moment. And the promise is this is direct from Jesus here that if I seek or pursue life in God's kingdom as sort of the preeminent pursuit of my life, instead of seeking after what he calls all the other things that, you know, uh, what he says Gentiles seek after. In other words, the people who don't know God. Which, by the way, those things that he's talking about seeking after, those aren't bad things. Clothing, uh, a roof over your head, food. Like, those are not bad things. We would all say that's very responsible to chase after those things, in a sense. Like, to pursue those things. And he's saying don't pursue them. At least don't pursue them preeminently. But first and foremost, pursue the kingdom of God. And if we do, then, he says... God will take care of the rest. <laughs> so that was session one, which is just exploring what is survival. Session two, then, I really uh wanted to just give us a glimpse, and there's so much we could say about this, at the various tools that we all use to survive, and we all have our favorites. And I'd like to thank our friend Beth Baroni for introducing us to these lists, because they're, I think, very helpful. Um so why, why would we become familiar? Why would we even explore these things? Well, in my experience, knowing what's important to you, where your desires tend to lie, is important so that when you start behaving in a certain way, you can know why you're behaving that way, and you can learn to recognize, oh, this is a survival behavior. <clears throat> Isn't it strange that we don't immediately recognize what is going on in our souls, we can experience pain and damage and hurt in our soul, and almost like we can know that something's off, but not really know. And it's like we need these external cues to tell us, like, oh, look what I'm doing. I think something deeper is going on. Um, <clears throat> well, noticing those behavioral tendencies, simple things like addictive behaviors, um, controlling behaviors, um, different relational behaviors like attack or withdrawal. Um, these can all cue us in to what's actually going on in a much deeper soul level and help us tune in and deal there rather than deal on the surface. Um, everybody's unique, but what I appreciate about this is that we humans seem to be built according to a certain pattern. So, <clears throat> I have a certain pattern of behaviors that I go to because of certain desires that I have. You have certain patterns of behavior that you rely on, and part of it's because of who you are and who I am, our God-given nature, how we came into the world, but also part of it is based on the whole experience of our life and how we've developed based on the environments we've been in and the different ways we've responded. Um, So we have these lists. I'm going to share just very briefly some of the kind of uh, general or stereotypical things that we tend to latch onto when our desires are unmet or threatened, okay? So the first list applies um, generally, first of all anyway, to people who have a strong desire for arriving for accomplishing, okay? It's easy to, but now (laughs) I should say right off the bat, anybody can fall into any of these for various reasons, so we shouldn't limit ourselves in that sense. Um, But it can be, be very easy to slip into controlling behaviors, into workaholism, or just needing to get things done to feel like things are moving forward and things are getting accomplished. Life does not always afford us the wonderful experience of arriving where we're trying to get to. Um, so those controlling or workaholic or, or, um, just getting a lot of tasks and physical things done, they, they, that doesn't necessarily need need to be a bad thing, right? I mean, people might applaud you for being a person who gets a lot of work done or a person who can get huge task lists done in a day or who can, you know, manage a whole team of people and get everybody going in the same direction. And yet those behaviors can still be ways of taking care of ourselves. Of taking care of myself. Um, also, let's try another list for this. And this is the stereotypical list for uh, people who really highly prioritize and value um, accuracy—that things are right and clear and precise. When they're not, and when that's threatened, it can be easy to become critical. It can be easy to go internal into a like a data accumulation mode, um, you know, grabbing every book, every article, every podcast, whatever that you can listen to, and just accumulating more and more and more information to try to make sense, or just uh, isolating and retreating into that information, or even into your own mind and just kind of living in there. Um, similarly, uh, there are lists for uh, people who tend to be oriented towards including others and being included. This is a huge value. Um, And it tends to be really judged harshly in our society. Um, But when you're not being included or when you're seeing others be excluded, um, one response can often be just emotional explosiveness. You know, it's just big emotions come out. Um, Also, addictive behaviors can become really prevalent, as well as just kind of constantly being active, just not being able to really slow down and stop. Um, And lastly, I'll out myself with these ones, this is kind of my main list, is that for those of us who are oriented with a deep desire for relational intimacy and closeness and that kind of security that we get in in intimate relationships, uh, when that's being threatened or robbed, it can be easy to slip into gossip, it can be easy to slip into fantasizing or just escaping into a fantasy world like a show or a book or something, or just to sort of resign basically just to take a step out of activity, out of relationship, and sort of go internal into their feelings. Um, now, that so that was an, a brief treatment of the second recording of the second session. There's much more to say about that, and even that other recording just doesn't do it justice. Um, but then, in the third session, I really wanted to kind of transition from really exploring the depths of how we can kind of live in these survival modes and not even realize it, So now talking about proactively, what can we do to get out? So here's the big problem, and I see this in myself and I see this in others. Once I'm in a survival mode, so once I've been driven into my survival behaviors and they're kind of thriving and pretty active, it's very hard to imagine or to envision myself not doing those things. Because those things are things I have become so familiar with and they give me a sense of immediate gratification. I mean, they feel so good in that moment, right? They're familiar, they're comfortable. Um, How could I say no to what I know will right now give me a certain feeling, right? Well, what we have to develop is a bigger picture than what's going on. We have to see beyond what we're feeling in the moment. I have to believe uh, at a, at a really kind of convictional level here, that these behaviors, just like any kind of addiction, are designed to keep me there. They're not actually meeting the need. They're, they're a temporary fix, and when the feeling is over, or the activity or behavior is done, now I'm going to just to need to do it again, or something like it, in order to be okay. Like, nothing has been fixed. So, <clears throat> for example, I, uh, Let's say I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sad because of a a relational situation. This is me. This is, this would be a good one for me. Um, or I'm just feeling a lot of relational conflict or something's going on. And so one, one thing I can do is escape into a show and characters and kind of just immerse myself in an escapist world, you know? So I binge watch the show, right? What happens when the show's over? Well, when the show's over, I need a new show, <laughs> or start it again. Um, so we all know that feeling, in a sense, and maybe yours isn't a show, maybe yours is a to-do list, or uh, maybe yours is you've got some subject that you're just learning everything about, or maybe yours is uh, some addictive behavior or something, like wh- whatever. Now, here's, here's the counterintuitive challenging part. There is only one tool for getting out. Now, it's nice because it's simple, um, but it's hard because it is so against the grain of what we are told and taught and what many of us have experienced. And it is the cross. So when Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me in this way that I'm going, in this way that I live, they have to pick up their cross and, you know, follow me. So we're thinking of the cross now as an instrument of death, or what the old writers called mortification, an instrument of death of, of something dying. So what is dying? What needs to die and what is dying is, is my reliance on myself or my need to get my way. The cross is how I take the kingdom that God has given me, my own kingdom. He's given it to me and he's not going to take it away. But it's how I take my kingdom and I place it within God's kingdom where there is a completely different reality, a completely different set of rules that governs the way things are. That's how I move. It's surrender. That's how I go from being in non-reality, where I really am, it's, it's, you know, every person for themselves, to a kingdom reality where God is, is providing for any and all and where we can actually love and serve one another. It is the opposite of survival. So the process of surrender of the cross is really two parts. There's an internal and an external, or a being aspect to it and a doing aspect to it. And the example we used in the third session is Jesus in Gethsemane, where he prayed first in Gethsemane, in the garden, not what I want, but what you want. So he's, he's acknowledging he does not want to do this process of the cross, but he's choosing to not want what he currently wants. That is the internal surrender. I know I want this, but I'm choosing God something else. I'm choosing what is apparently a better way, a better reality. So that is the first expression of trust. And the second is that then he actually goes through the whole process of the passion, going through his mock trial, going through his His beatings, and going through the entire crucifixion, experiencing somehow in God's kingdom, love, joy, peace, and hope in the midst of exactly what he did not want to do. And I'm, I'm doubtful that in any of that process, he thought, oh, I'm so glad I'm doing this. Like, I'm so, I feel so good about this. I don't think so. And I think that oftentimes our daily life, we are kind of left with a, I don't really want to do this. I don't enjoy this. I don't like it. What do I do with that? So this is what we're being invited into is losing our life in order to save it. And the harder we cling to our survival lists, the more we actually end up losing because we end up worrying, we end up being afraid, we end up with anxiety, anxiety. we end up with anger, addiction, escape, etc., etc., etc. Because that's all that those things have to offer. They don't have any other reality to offer. So, in the fourth session then, wrapping this up, what do you gain, what do you actually receive when you surrender what you want? Again, and and as I'm saying this, I'm just thinking, how many people in our society would say, this is insanity. You should not surrender what you want. You should go after what you want. And my response to them, I think, if I had the opportunity, would say, the problem for me that I have noticed for myself is that what I want is broken. What I want is often not good for me or not good for others. And I can verify by experience that when I have gone after what I have wanted, it has not met the need, the real need. So what I'm doing is I'm actually trying to fix my wanter. I'm trying to fix, allow, or I should say, allow God with my partnership To heal what is broken through a whole new set of experiences. I have plenty of experiences in surrendering to however I feel in the moment and want to feel. My list of experiences is growing now of surrendering those to God and experiencing a different kind of being okay or a different reality. What is, I think, most important for us to know, or what I would say about this, is that surrender is not just about saying no to one thing. It's about saying yes to what God is offering. So, um, I will say no to myself, sure. I'll say no to having to have my way, but I am also given much better things to say yes to. Oftentimes, what those better things would be like, I could, you know, gossip or I could say yes to forgiveness. Now, as soon as I say that, think about how that feels for a second. There is a certain satisfaction that comes, and maybe you're not a gossiper, but I know, I think probably everybody has gossiped at some point, there's no reason we would do it unless it had some built-in satisfaction, right? So if we gossip about somebody, there's, there's something that is sort of strangely satisfying, a false intimacy, a false sense of superiority but it is a sense nonetheless. And if instead I have the opportunity to forgive that person that I'm gossiping about for whatever reason I'm gossiping, that feels very different, doesn't it? And it can be hard if that's not familiar. If you have learned to gossip and not learned to forgive, the idea of forgiveness can seem very foreign and it doesn't kind of have that same feeling. It's a different feeling. But again, following the teachings of Jesus or scripture, we would say, but probably that's better and i even think that there's something within us that recognizes the beauty and the truth of forgiveness even when it doesn't have that same feeling so i have the opportunity to say yes to one or the other similarly i can engage in some behavior that makes me feel better when a situation is going badly or i can actively prayerfully and and um intentionally hand that over to God as an act of trust, even just in, in a in a prayer and just say, God, I'm giving you this situation that is frustrating or worrying or whatever it is, and I can actually say yes to, to hearing God say to me, you can trust me. Similarly, um, I can sort of engage in acts that eventually just serve myself, or I can say, God, is there somebody that I need to serve right now? Something I can just do for somebody else. Get me outside of my own head, my own world, um, and engage with you in this way. Those are simple things we can say yes to. There's there are And there are tons. Those aren't the only ones. Um, so surrendering is our way of actually expressing trust in God, which is our faith lived out. This is how we do faith. We surrender. It's not just a mental ascent, although that's a part of it, but it has to be then expressed in, in my body, in what I do or what I don't do. And if I, if I don't find a way to express it in my body, either something I'm doing or not doing, then it's not really in me. Um, this is why embodied spiritual practices are so important. Um, we shouldn't relegate our life with God to just a mental thing, something that goes on inside of our head, we need to have ways to actually practice it and do it with our bodies. Um, now, what can be expected as we take that path? I know what to expect when I eat a chocolate chip cookie, but what do I expect when I surrender to God? Um, nothing wrong with chocolate chip cookies, right? I'm just saying, like, if, I, if I'm using it as a survival method, I know what how that's going to feel. I know how it's going to taste. Do I know what surrender... Uh, that experience is like. So, here's one thing we can expect. We can expect at least at the beginning um that our bodies won't like it. And maybe that's just always going to be part of it because our bodies are, you know, our senses are used to running the show. We live in a very sensual society and while our senses aren't bad, they are a problem when they're running the show. So, old habits as we all know die really hard. So, If I'm used to doing one thing and now I'm saying no to that, oof, that's not going to feel good at first. So I should expect that. I should also expect, I think, that I will still want whatever thing it is that I'm surrendering, right? That's a very familiar feeling, and I'm still going to want it. Um, And then we can also expect that the shifts that we experience at a soul level, more than just a thought, more than just a feeling, And hopefully expressing itself over time in our body, um, they're gonna start fairly subtly. There might not be a ton there, and that's okay. Um, For example, if anger is just a way of life for me, um, then when I first start surrendering my anger to God, my anger is gonna linger in my thoughts and feelings and in my body for a while. But over time, I can expect that my thoughts can change a little quicker, and then my feelings. Will start to get on board, and those things that I feel in my body—the tenseness, the um, just—you know—all of it—over time, that will be able to go away much faster. Same thing with addictive impulses; that at first those are going to be very, very strong, but as we pay attention to these subtle subtle shifts and we lean into them, just like anxiety—it's another one. It's we shouldn't expect that it's just going to vanish overnight. These things have been wired into us. From oftentimes very early ages, another one I was thinking of is just sadness. How easy it is to slip into a state of sadness that feels that can feel like despair, like overwhelming despair, and we shouldn't expect that that's just going to you know vanish, but practiced over time, we can expect these subtle changes to become more and more a part of who we are to the point where and the analogy I use in the in the fourth session is the scales, right. We have a heavy set of experiences on one side of the, of the scales of weight, and as we gain new experiences, the other side of the scale is adding weight until it becomes more and more than norm. So what what is that normal that we are heading for? It is the experience of love. Love is the sense of being cared for and provided for by God. It is joy, which is a deep sense of contentment, in the goodness of my life as it is right now, I don't need anything else. Life here with God and with you is good. It is peace, which is an inner, a deep inner calm and rest in that shalom of God or the rightness of God, even when everything else is not right. And it's hope, which is that this abiding confidence in the goodness of where we're going, in the goodness of the future that God has ahead for us. Period. So love, joy, peace, and hope really become the antidotes for our deepest uh, survival needs. Now, I'm going to give you a question, and this question is personal for you, personally for for each of us, but it's also for us to discuss because we cannot engage in this kind of process alone. It has to be a dialogue with other trusted people who are doing this with us. So here's a question. Could you identify one survival behavior in yourself? And, I, and I'm just going to add that I think this should be a, a prayerful consideration to not just jump to conclusions, but even in this, to surrender this question to God and to listen. Can you identify one survival behavior in yourself? And ask, how would you practice surrendering it to God when it comes up? And a really important part of this is, is not just saying no to the thing that's part of it, but also what would you be saying yes to? What would you be saying? Uh, what would you be replacing that with? Can you identify one survival behavior, and how would you practice surrender that surrendering that to God when it when it shows up? Specifically, not just what are you saying no to, but what are you saying yes to? The other thing I'm going to post in the notes for this is. Um, a prayer that I would invite you to pray along with this as a practice. And this can be the kind of thing you can pray <laughs> as many times a day as you want. It's called the Welcoming Prayer. It was written by Father Thomas Keating. Um, and it goes like this Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts. Feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. And I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen.